بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن الحمد لله تعالى نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله صلى الله عليه وسلم يا أيها الذين آمنوا اتقوا الله حق تقاته ولا تموتن إلا وأنتم مسلمون أما بعد فإن أصدق الحديث كلام الله وخير الهدى هدى محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وشر الأمور محدثاتها وكل محدثة بدعة وكل بدعة ضلالة وكل ضلالة في النار السلام عليكم ورحمة الله this week, insha'Allah ta'ala, we're going to be looking at the lessons and the example for bay'a al-aqaba al-thaniya, the second pledge of al-aqaba. Now, last week, we looked at bay'a al-aqaba al-thaniya, right? And before that, we looked at the lessons from bay'a al-aqaba al-ula, the lessons from the first example of what? Al-aqaba, the first pledge of aqaba. And we said one of the reasons from the lessons that we took from the first pledge, one of the reasons that the Ansar, it was easy for them to accept that which the Prophet ﷺ came with was the nature and their natural inclination that which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created them upon. And that attribute was what? Attribute of softness, gentleness, and what? And humbleness. And we said even if this attribute was already existing in them from last week, there are certain things and certain situations and circumstances that humbles a person. And that is why from the Sunnah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, anytime he sends a messenger to a people, what does Allah ta'ala say? That We never send a messenger to any city. Except prior to the messenger, we seize them with poverty and hardship. Why? in order to cause them to be humble. So one of the things we mentioned that happened to the Ansar prior to the Prophet ﷺ coming was what calamity? The calamity of what? Yawmul Bu'ath. The war amongst them, the day of Bu'ath, which caused them to lose their great leaders. Now we said this was like a precursor to the Prophet ﷺ coming to them. Based on this ayah and based on the sunnah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in sending messengers to the people. Now one thing I want to mention in regards to that for those who are taking notes from last week is that generally this is the case. But subhanallah, there's a hadith of Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha which is in Sahih al-Bukhari. In Sahih al-Bukhari. In which Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha actually specifically mentions the fact that this war of Bu'ath, it took place before the Prophet ﷺ going to them was a precursor. In this hadith of Aisha radiallahu anha, she said that Yawmul Bu'ath, the day of Bu'ath, was an event or an incident which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala qaddamahu, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala put as a precursor, as an event that took place before the Prophet ﷺ, he came to them. He came to them. So that before he went to them, Yawm Bu'ath, it took place. So that calamity has seized them already. So by the time the Prophet ﷺ came to them, due to their circumstances, they were already what? Humbled. So the hadith that specifically actually mentions this. I'm looking for the reference. The hadith 
of Aisha radiyallahu ta'ala anha. It's in Bukhari. Tayyip, at the end of the class, I'll give you the reference for the hadith, inshallah ta'ala. Now, this week, we're going to be looking at the lessons from Bay'ah al-Aqaba al-Thaniya. Now, generally speaking, when we study in the seerah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, we try to learn the lessons from them and the examples from them. And the reason we do this is because generally, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about the Anbiya, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, لَقَدْ كَانَ فِي قِصَصِهِمْ عِبْرَةً In the examples of, or the stories of the messengers and the Prophet is a what? Is a ibrah, is a lesson. لِأُولِي الْأَلْبَابِ For men of understanding. When it comes to the seerah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, more specifically, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, لَقَدْ كَانَ لَكُمْ فِي رَسُولِ اللَّهِ أُسْوَةٌ حَسَنًا Indeed, in the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is a perfect example. Now, when it comes to a specific incident, from the incidences, from the uh, seerah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, there's even a greater example. And that incident is Bay'ah al-Aqaba al-Thaniyah, the second pledge of al-Aqaba. And the reason it's important to look at the lessons and the examples we could draw from Bay'ah al-Aqaba al-Thaniyah, it is because this Bay'ah, this Aqaba al-Thaniyah, is what changed the course of history. This Bay'ah al-Aqaba al-Thaniyah changed the course of history. This Bay'ah al-Aqaba al-Thaniyah is known as Fathu al-Futuh, the opening of all opening. That this one episode, any other episode after it from the conquest of Islam was based on this what? This one episode. So anything that happened from conquest and opening of Muslim lands that were previously non-Muslim lands, this was the beginning of it all, al-bay'ah al-aqaba al-thaniyah, the second bay'ah of al-aqaba. So this is the first episode or the first series in the series of what? Conquest. This first bay'ah. So it's important for us to deduce the lessons and example from al-bay'ah, al-aqaba, al-thaniyah. Now, what are the lessons we could deduce? The first lesson we could deduce from bay'ah, al-aqaba, al-thaniyah is this. Number one, the importance of tarbiyah al-imaniyah, to cultivate and to nurture according to iman. When it comes to our souls and when it comes to individual and great leadership, that great leadership is achieved with tarbiyah, education based on iman, based on faith in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If you want to have great leadership, the tarbiyah, the cultivation should be upon iman. And that's why the ulama, when they look at the state of the ummah, of weakness and hardship and adversity we're going through, Shaykh al-Albani rahimahullahu ta'ala used to say famously, at-tasfiyah wa tarbiyah, purification and education. Purification and education. Purification and education. And the proof that one of the lessons we learn about Tarbiya Imaniyah, that to cultivate upon Iman in Bay'ah al-Aqab al-Thaniyah, is that if you look, when the Prophet went to them, and he said to them, one of the conditions of this Bay'ah al-Aqab al-Thaniyah is that they have to be selfless. Selfless when it comes to their selves, their lives, and when it comes to what? Their property and their wealth and their children, selflessness. But the Prophet ﷺ, in doing so, did not guarantee them anything from the dunya. Not wealth, not leadership, not position, not conquest. He could only guarantee them one thing. Only one thing to show the importance of Iman. 
he could only guarantee them one thing. And what he guaranteed them is what he guaranteed them from the very beginning. Because if you look at the beginning, when it was going to the different tribes, saying to them, who's going to protect me? Who's going to give me refuge so I may convey the message of my Lord? What did he promise them for whoever protected them, gave him refuge, aid him? What did he promise them? Jannah. That's all. Falahul Jannah. You have Jannah. When it came to Bay'ah al-Aqaba al-Ula, the first pledge of al-Aqaba, the Bay'ah al-Nisa, he said, فَإِنْ وَفَيْتُمْ If you fulfill the covenant, what did he promise them? Jannah. Jayid? When he came to Bay'ah al-Aqaba al-Thaniya, and the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, are you going to protect me from what you protect your wives and your children from? Are you going to go to war in order to defend me? What did he promise them? Jannah. And this shows the importance of cultivation upon what? Iman. And one of the greatest pillars of Iman is Iman bil yawmil akhir. Iman in the last day. Which is why you find many a times Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions الَّذِينَ يُؤْمِنُونَ بِاللَّهِ وَالْيَوْمِ الْآخِرِ Many times Allah ta'ala mentions Iman along with belief in Allah, belief in the what? The last day. So if you look, when we went back to the beginning of Sirah, the only source, the only reference in Arqam, Ibn Abi Arqam, for studying was what? The Qur'an. That's all they had. And if you look at the early surahs or suwar that came down, the Meccan surahs, it concentrated on what? Issues of Tawheed and issues of what? Jannah and Jahannam. Paradise and the hellfire. So if we want to have great leadership, one of the first things is tarbiyah, cultivation, education according to what? Iman. And that's why when the Prophet ﷺ, he said to them, are you going to be selfless? Are you going to sacrifice yourself? They went even further than this. So if you look at the statement of As'ad ibn Zurara, when the Prophet ﷺ, he took the pledge, pledge of allegiance from them. As'ad ibn Zurara, what did he say? He said to his people, Ruwaydan ya Ansar, take it easy ya Ansar, or ya Ahl al-Yathrib, the people of Yathrib. Do you know the reality of what you're giving covenant to? He said, this covenant, what does it mean? As we mentioned last week, it means mufaraqatul Arab. Say goodbye to the Arabs. Say goodbye. This is your departing statement from the Arabs. What else does it mean? This covenant or this pledge, what does it mean? Qatlu khiyarikum. The best of you are going to be killed because of this covenant. This covenant you've given, you're going to taste the swords of the Arabs. Are you ready to do all of this? Are you going to be patient with this? What did they say? We're ready. We're ready. Why were they ready? Because they said, if we do that, they said, We gave pledge of allegiance to the Prophet ﷺ. For the price of what? Jannah. For the price of paradise. So when people are studying issues of aqidah, issues of faith, and people just see it as a theological exercise that has no bearing on their lives. It's wrong. When people are studying Tawheed, people just see it as a theoretical exercise or just theological discussion. It has a bearing. When people are studying Aqidah issues, for example, concerning the attributes of Allah, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we do not negate his attributes, nor do we compare him to the creation. He has an effect on people's lives. And that's why Ibn Qayyim, rahimahullah ta'ala, is his muqaddim of Nuniyyah, when it comes to the issue of those who negate the attributes of Allah and those who compare Allah to his creation, what does he say? He said, Those who negate the attributes of Allah, you know what they worship? Adama, they worship nothing, non-existent, that which is non-existent. 
الممثلة, and as for those who compare Allah to his creation, Ya'budu Sanaman, they worship idols. الموحد, as the one upon Tawheed, Ya'budu al-Ardi wa He worships the God of the heavens and the earth. So this has a bearing, the belief in the last day. Because the Sahaba, anhum, those that gave this bay'ah, even though they were few in number, they were ready to sacrifice themselves. They fitted the description of the believers in the Quran where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Inna Allah ishtara min al mu'minina anfusahum wa amwalahum bi anna lahum al jannah. That Allah has bought the soul of the believers and their wealth. For what price? Bi anna lahum al jannah. Because for them is what? Jannah. يُقَاتِلُونَ فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ They fight in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. فَيَقْتُلُونَ And they killed وَيُقْتَلُونَ And they are killed. وَعْدًا عَلَيْ حَقًّا فِي التَّوْرَاتِ وَالْإِنْجِيلِ وَالْقُرْآنِ فَاسْتَبْشِرُوا Allah ta'ala says, فَاسْتَبْشِرُوا Glad tidings. بِبَيْعِكُمُ الَّذِي بَايَعْتُمْ بِي For the trade and the transaction you've engaged in. وَذَلِكَ وَالْفَوْزُ الْعَظِيمِ This is the greatest success. So the first thing we could see the tarbiyah, the cultivation of the sahaba upon iman. Because once you have that, iman in the last day, the dunya doesn't matter to you. Because you know the dunya, la tusawi indallah janaha ba'uda. This dunya is not even equal to the wing of a what? A mosquito. So the first thing we could see in great leadership was this tarbiyah, al-imaniyah, cultivation, and dedication based on iman. So if we want success for ourselves and our family, we need to get this firmly rooted into ourselves and into our children. That the hereafter is better than the life of this world. And that's why when you study the battles later on of the Sahaba, how Jannah was to them, that in a battle, the Prophet when he promised a shaheed, such and such and such and such, there's a Sahabi, he said, subhanAllah, he was eating a date. He said, between me and Jannah, it's just this date, bakhin, bakhin. He threw the date down and ran into the enemies until he was killed. Because he's saying, subhanAllah, just between me and Jannah, it's just this piece of date, khalas. He ran into the battle. Because the reality of Jannah was there for them. This tarbiyah is very, very important. And that's one of the signs of the last day. The Prophet sallallahu said, man ya'ish minkum, whoever lives amongst, amongst you, fasayyarakhtilafan kathira. We'll see much differences. And towards the end of the hadith, what the Prophet said, that a man, Yabir, he will sell his deen, arad mina dunya, for the sake of the dunya. So many things you see nowadays, divisions, partisanship, a lot of times there's some kind of dunya involved in it, some kind of worldly benefit involved in it, be it wealth, be it status, there's dunya in most cases. So the first lesson is tarbiyah al-imaniyah. The second lesson we take from it is that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam will learn from this bay'a al-aqba al-thaniya al-takhtit, strategy. Strategy in how to do things. Because this bay'a was particularly difficult and it presented a lot of challenges. The challenges that that bay'a he presented to them was those coming to make the bay'a from the Ansar were 70, right? 70 from the Ansar. But they didn't come by themselves. If they were just 70 of the Muslims, it's okay. But they came with the people of Medina together. And in total, there were how many? 500 in total. So if 70 people amongst them are Muslims and their affair is a secret, to depart from that group, would their absence be noticed? It would be noticed. 
but we learn from how to strategize and important strategies, which you're going to speak about today. The first strategy and the second and the third and the fourth is based on one thing. For those taking notes, it's all about sir, secrecy. Secrecy. So the first, second, and third from the second point, which is about strategy, is all based on what? Secrecy. So the first thing, point A, connected to lesson number two. This is point A, about secrecy. Point A, sirra al-haraka, sirriyatul haraka. Secrecy in movement. Secrecy in movement. So if you look at the bay'ah, those 70 people, that or 73 people that were amongst 500, how did they leave to go and give the bay'ah? They left mutasallilin. They left in serial numbers. They left one by one. They didn't all 70 people and they just get up and leave. They left one by one or in pairs. They left in that manner. Number two, they chose, Jayid, a time of the Hajj period, the most busiest time of the Hajj period, which is exhausting, which is what? The day of Tashriq, the second day of a Tashriq, and that's one of the most exhausting parts of the Hajj. That is so exhausting. They know that those people they came with, they'll be so exhausted, they want to sleep and rest. But not only did they choose that day, what time did they choose? the middle of the night, the third part of the night. They're already they're exhausted. On top of that, the middle of the night, they left during the middle of the night. So strategically, they chose the right day and they chose the right time. Jayid? Also, in choosing the right time, they chose the right location and they chose Al-Aqaba, the right side of Al-Aqaba. Just in case, even though they know the people are smashed, they're tired, just in case anybody's to wake up, the right side of Al-Aqaba is far from their abode. So even if they wake up, they will not see them. So they chose the right day, the right time, and the right location. All for what? The purpose of secrecy of what? Movement. Secrecy of movement. And the reason you see point one, point two, point three, or point A, B, C, D are connected to secrecy is because secrecy is important. The Prophet said in a hadith, that help yourself, aid yourself in fulfilling your ambitions and your aspiration with secrecy. Secrecy is very important. If you want to do things, you need to be secret. You have to have some level of secrecy. If you're a person that don't have secrecy or now to keep information confidential or now to move in a comfort, you're not going to achieve anything in life. Secrecy is very, very important. So aid yourself in this manner. So the Prophet sallallahu erased his sahaba upon this, upon secrecy. And not only the kibar of sahaba, the adult from the sahaba, even the children of the sahaba. There's a sahabi radiallahu anhu, I can't remember which one it was. It was a young boy at that time. And the Prophet sallallahu told him something in secret. And when he went to his mother, his mother asked him, what did the Prophet sallallahu say to you? He said it was a secret between me and the Prophet You know what his mother said? Please do not tell me. Don't tell me. This is the kind of terbiyah the women should have with their children. That when the father says something to his son secretly, secretly, even if the son wants to say it, for the sake of bringing up her own son to be a man, she should discourage him from doing so. 
And in many cases, either with the father or the mother, you find the opposite. A secret between a father and his son should remain a secret. Even if he wants to tell you, you say, no son, do not do this. And likewise, amongst ourselves are brothers. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, لا تخونوا, Do not be deceptive or treacherous concerning your amana, your trust. That we be entrusted with. And one of the things a person entrusts you with is what? Secrets. To the point when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, لا تخونوا أماناتكم. Do not be treacherous to that which you be entrusted with. Some of the ulama, they say, من خيانة الأمانة. From treachery to that which you be entrusted with is Abu Amatullah. He's speaking to me. And before he tells me what he wants to tell me, he doesn't tell me it's a secret. All he does is this. He looks left, he looks right. Even though he didn't say, don't tell anybody. If I tell anybody, I've been treacherous to my covenant and that which I've been entrusted with. What if somebody now tells you, please do not tell anybody? Or it gives you an indication you don't want people to know. Secrecy is very important. So number one, secrecy in movement. They moved at a way that was secret. Number two, Siriya, secrecy when it came to need to know or need to know basis. There's some things in life that not every single person needs to know. Need to know only basis. The Prophet said, From the goodness of one's Islam is to leave that which does not concern you. So need to know only basis. Because only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows what may happen if one or two or three are caught. And therefore, they're forced to expose what was happening. So those people that knew about the place, about the time, were those that only need to know. And one of them was who? Al-Abbas, the uncle of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi He knew. And at that time was a mushrik. He's a mushrik, but yet he knows. Why does he know? Because he needed to know. Because he wanted to guarantee the safety of his nephew. So the only people that knew about Bay al-Aqaba al-Thaniya, his place, his time, the location, was al-Abbas. Secondly, Ali. Why does Ali need to know? Ali kana aynan ala fammi al-shi'ab. Ali was acting as for surveillance on the entry point into the valley. So the duty of Ali, he was positioned, looking from the entrance of the valley, was entering there. And the other person that I knew was Abu Bakr Siddiq, just for the sake of knowing, no. In the middle path of the valley, Abu Bakr was the second position of what? Surveillance, to see who's entering. Anybody that was there and they knew about it, is they had to know about it, and they served a purpose. At that time, Many people from the people of Mecca have become Muslim. Bilal radiallahu anhu. yasir. And look at the position of the Sahaba radiallahu anhu. But did they know? They didn't know. But the Mushrik at that time, Al-Abbas knew and they didn't know. The Sahaba radiallahu anhu. And that has nothing to do with their status. It's a need to know basis. So the people that were there, they're the people that need to know. And we need to learn to practice this in our lives, in our profession, that the people you give information to are people that need to know only. And there's some information, even if you was to be told about it, it will do nothing sometimes but stress you out. Even in our household, sometimes you have stress, bills, rent, problems. I'm not saying don't take advice from your family. Advice is something and telling her about it is something else. They panic. They stress. There's no benefit sometimes in telling them. Absolutely no benefit. They go into proper stress mode. They don't need to know. Why do you tell them? So need to know only basis. So the only people that were there were the people that needed 
to know. Now, despite all of this, the only people that were there were the people that need to know the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam upon arriving, he advised them not to raise their voice, Jayid, and to make it as brief as possible to go back quickly so their absence would not be noticed. Even though the people, he took all precautions. But despite all of this, they still find out, which is point C, that even if your secret is leaked, you can't say what well, everybody knows now, let's just open it all up. He still continued upon what? Secrecy. He said, when you go back, and the shaitan has leaked this to the people of Mecca, when you go back to them, do not engage in anything at all. If they ask you any questions, no comment. And anybody who knows about interrogation, they could only judge you based on what you say. The moment you start telling stories, contradicting yourself. So when they went back, it was purely no comment. Or digress from the main topic. Digression. Just talk about something else. So even though it was already exposed, they continued upon secrecy. Jayid. So that's point number two. Point number three is the speed, the speed at which, at which they responded to the bay'ah from the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The emir or the qa'id, the commander, was Bara ibn Ma'roor. He said, وَالَّذِي بَعَثَكَ بِالْحَقِّ لَنَمْنَعَنَّكَ بِمَا نَمْنَعْ مِنْهُ أُزْرُنَا We're going to protect you with everything in our power. In our power. We gave bay'ah to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and we told him, نَحْنُ أَبْنَاءُ الْحَرْبِ We are children of war. وَالْحَلْقَ And weaponry. وَوَرَثْنَاهَا كَابِرًا عَنْ كَابِرًا This is something we've inherited from generation to generation. And who said this? The Qa'id. What's his name? Bara' ibn Ma'roor. What is the significance that the Qa'id, the leader, said this? This same leader who responded quickly to the bay'ah from the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, prior, prior to arriving in Mecca before the bay'ah al-Aqaba al-Thaniya, prior to arriving in Mecca, he used to pray towards the Kaaba. He would only pray towards the what? The Kaaba. And then they told him that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam always prayed towards the Baytul Maqdis. Because this is Meccan period. The Qibla was not changed to the Daesh and the, uh, the Kaaba. It was Baytul Maqdis. So when they told him this, and he met the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam told him he prays towards Baytul Maqdis, even though he was the leader of their people, and he believed the direction of the Qibla should be the Kaaba, which he prayed, he changed immediately. So already, he showed how quick he was to respond to the orders of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And this shows us how the Sahaba radiallahu anhum, they were quick in responding to the orders of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. This is a very important lesson. That this thing of just saying, okay, well, the one that sent you with the truth, we're going to follow. No, there was a precursor. Even when it came to the issue of the Qibla, immediately. Number two, OB, it showed us that leadership, when it comes to affairs of the deen, was ruled out to anybody Meaning, the statement anybody could be accepted or rejected except for the statement of who? The Prophet sallallahu Leadership did not belong to anybody but the Prophet sallallahu And leadership, or insan, the reverence of anybody, and his respect, Our reverence and respect for anybody 
is based on how he practices and adheres to the orders of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Also, point number four, Abu Haytham at Tahiyyan, when they gave the Pledge of Allegiance to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he was concerned. He said, look, between us and the Jews is a what? It's some kind of relation. When we enter into this covenant with you, we'll have broken it, that relationship. And if Allah gives you victory, you go back to your people, you're going to abandon us. This showed the lesson that the Prophet allowed the Sahaba to voice their opinion and their concerns. That you have to allow people to voice that which is inside of them. If they didn't voice it and they kept it in, it would affect their what? Their motivation. But rather, he allowed them to voice it. And when they voice it, what did the Prophet say to them? Adamu adam. My blood is your blood. Al hadam al hadam. Your destruction is my destruction. You're from me, I'm from you. That boosted their motivation. So sometimes people have things in their heart, but because you're not approachable, they could not express it, but affect how they behave later on. Point number five. The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he chose from them 12 supervisors or managers from themselves. And these 12 that he chose, did the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam select who they should be? No. He left the affair up to, up to them, for them to choose. And this shows the importance of shura, consultation as a group, as a party. Sometimes, not at all times, that let them do things. You cannot micromanage everything. So he let them choose the 12 that want to be the leaders amongst them. And when he came to choosing the 12, how many were from the house? Three. Why three from the house? Because they were less in numbers. And the Khazraj were three times in numbers. So three times four, or four times the number, three times the number, he, leaded, he made it 12. So he made them choose only three from the house, three leaders, and three lead, uh, nine leaders from the Wu, the Khazraj. Another important lesson is this. This secret that got out, the people of Mecca eventually, they found out from the people of Medina, they gave the bay'ah. They found out. And they caught two from the Ansar. One escaped and the other was caught. The name of the one that was caught was Sa'ad ibn Ubadah. Sa'ad ibn Ubadah. As for Sa'ad ibn Ubadah, they took him, they tied his hand to his neck, and they took him into Makkah, and they were beating him severely and dragging him by his hair. The only thing that saved him and was able to go back to Medina was that in Jahiliyyah, he had some businesses of running with Mut uh, Jubair ibn Mut'im and one of the other mushrikeen. So they interceded on his behalf and he was able to go back to where? Medina. Now, when he came into Mecca and they were dragging him, they were beating him. In Mecca, who were there? The Muslims. But did they defend him? No. Why? They were not permitted at that time to do so. Did he have any rancor or hatred in his heart towards them? No, because he understood their position. And that's an important lesson that sometimes people cannot aid you, come to your aid, because they're not able, able to do so. And he left them as such. Another lesson from this is the statement of Abbas ibn Nadla. When the mushrikeen had found out about their plan, what did he say to the Prophet He said to the Prophet if you want and if you will, we're going to go to Minna tomorrow, where they all gathered for Hajj, and we're going to rain down upon them with our swords. If you so wish. What did the Prophet ﷺ say? What was the reply to him? 
And this is an important lesson. What did he say to him? He said, Lam nu'mar bithalik. We've not been ordered with that. And what is the order from? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the lesson from that is that the issue of al-jihad, fighting the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, what difa' anil Islam, and defending the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, what ta'amul ma'a'da'ihi, and dealing with the enemies of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, amrun dini is a religious affair. It's not left up to my thinking, my ijtihad. It's something amru dini. And that's why every single jihad you see in the world today, there are two types of jihad. Ibn Taymiyyah says jihad as sunni, jihad upon the sunnah, and jihad bid'i. Jihad which is bid'ah. So the issue of how to deal with the enemies of Allah, fighting, defending Islam is what amrun dini, a religious affair. It's not up to my ijtihad. Now, although it's amrun dini, who is it left up to them? Jayyid, he went on to say, that it needs you to submit to the orders of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and tashri'atihi al-hakima, the, the wise legislations of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. فَإِذَا شُرِعَ jihad If jihad is legislated, if it's valid, فَإِنَّ الْأَمْرَ الْإِقْدَامِ أَوْ الْإِحْجَامِ مَتْرُوكِ لِلنَّظْرِ الْمُجْتَهِدِينَ بَعْدَ تَشَاوُرْ Very important point. Even if the jihad is valid and it's a legislative jihad, it's a valid jihad, the issue of al-iqdam to go forth, wal-ihjam to attack the enemies of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, even though it's valid, is left up to who? Mujtahideen. Who are the mujtahideen? The scholars. It's left up to who? The scholars. Not left to TV channels. When I was in Saudi Arabia and the issue of Syria started, on many TV channels, they called to this, uh, this open tenfirul am general calling, go, 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 go. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, وَإِذَا جَاءَهُمْ أَمْرٌ مِّنَ الْأَمْنِ أَوِ الْخَوْفِ When an affair comes to them from fear or security or fear, they make their own rulings and pronouncements. But what should they have done? لَوْرَ دُوهُ If they returned it to Allah, and the messengers are saying, وَأُولِي الْأَمْرُ And the people of authority. The people of authority are who in this ayah? The scholars. لَعَلِمَهُ الَّذِينَ يَسْتَنْبِطُونَهُ Those who know the situation, they'll give them the correct ruling. So when this general call came, some of the scholars, they say, no, do not go. This is قِتَالُ fitna. The people upset. One of the people, Sheikh Fawzan, they say, subhanallah, this is cowardism. These ulama khawana. Their scholars are treacherous, jubana. They're cowards. What qitalul fitna? If you were to ask most people now, what does qitalul fitna mean? Fighting of fitna. They don't even know what it means. What's qitalul fitna? Qitalul fitna is a fighting or killing where two Muslims will end up killing each other. Where two Muslims will end up slaughtering each other. This is fitna. Jayyid? Not Muslims against non-Muslims, but Muslims end up killing each other. And when he's speaking, he's not speaking about the regiment of the, gov or the regime. He's speaking about the other groups. And in the end, that's exactly what happened. And then all the TV channels, all the people that accused them of cowardism, all the people that are going to fear al-am, now they started to pull back and started to regret. But already, people are already gone. And that's why they say, al-fitna, idha adbarat, 
عرفها العلماء إذا أقبلت. When the fitna starts to approach, عرفها العلماء. The scholars can recognize it. وإذا أدبرت and when it turns and it leaves its trail of destruction, عرفها الجهال. The ignorant they say, Subhanallah, that was fitna. That's when they recognize it. And that's what Uthami used to say. That in al-'atifa, that your emotion and your sentiments and the pain when we see people in Syria and all these other places, in lam yarbutu al-shara, if it's not regulated by the Sharia, wal-'aql and by intellect, takun atifa. That atifa, that emotion becomes what? Atifa becomes a storm, and it leaves destruction. So even if the jihad is valid, it is left to the mujtahidin. But not only is it messed with the mujtahidin, it said. Mujtahideen ba'da tashawur. The scholars after that have to all sit down and do what? Consult each other on the matter. Because the ruling is just one thing. Yes, it's a jihad. And that's why they say, Hukmu ala min tasawurihi. Ruling over something is only a what? A branch of it. You have to study the situation. So even though it's valid, one of the biggest principles of the sharia is al-masalih wal-mafasid. Benefits and what? Advantages and disadvantages. That something could be valid and it could be legislated, but you doing it will bring a greater harm. So they have to study the situation strategically, politically, and the consequences of that action. Because what may affect me in Egypt may not affect you in Nigeria, but the consequences of my action in Egypt as a Muslim will affect the Muslims of Nigeria. What I may go and do when you have this lone or lone wolf or lone attackers, what they do, one attacker does in London, it doesn't affect him. He blows himself from khalas, ma'as-salama. It affects the women, the children, it affects institutions. So what are you to make a decision for the rest of the ummah? So when you look at these actions and these activities, subhanallah, I have seen the evil effect and the consequences. I lived in Kenya for many years. And I have seen one action alone. I remember going to a place in Garissa. It's on the border of, uh, of Somalia. You think you're in Somalia if you go there. And I went there and I saw, subhanAllah, some of the state of the people, the children. That place had many, many orphanages. Yes? After one terrorist attack, they closed down all the orphanages. Those children were in the streets. All the NGO, non-governmental organizations closed down. I went to another island called Kipini. We went there in Ramadan. When I got to this island, even for iftar, the people didn't even have food for iftar. Because the Muslim organization that used to go to those regions closed down. Many da'wah organizations, many innocent people, where do you want to talk about extrajudicial killing, torture, killing, imprisonment of women? They were even imprisoning children because of one person's action. One person's action. But he doesn't think about that because jahl. So it's left to the scholars. Because Prophet Sallam, not mar. And this is the Prophet We've not been ordered to do this. We've not been ordered to do this. Waiting for order from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Ba'da tashawur, dirasat al-amr min jawmi'i jawanib. They have to study the issue from all angles. You cannot just look at it from one angle. All angles. And he said, وَكُلَّمَا كَانَتْ عَبْقَرِيَّةِ التَّخْتِيتِ السِّيَاسِ أَقْوَى أَدَّتْ إِلَى النَّجَاحِ he said, the more a person has the geniusy or the intelligence to understand affairs, jayid, and plan strategically, politically, according to political climates, the more successful they'll be. 
And that's why in Islam, there's something called siyasa al-shari'iyya. Siyasa, politics, according to the sharia of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Tayyib. Another point, which Luqman, he asked a question about last week. That كانت al-bay'a بالنسبه للرجال that when it came to the bay'a, as far as the men were concerned, be basti, Rasulullah sallam, yada. The Prophet sallam would stretch his hand forth to them. Be basti yadihi, wa qalu lahu, ibsit yadak. He would say to them, give me your hand. This is as far as the man goes. Amma bay'atu, as for the bay'a of the two women. And who were the two women that gave bay'a to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam? Nusayba, bintu Ka'ab. And who else? Asma'a. These two, their bay'ah to the Prophet ﷺ was biqawl, with statement. They never touched the Prophet ﷺ's hand, nor did he stretch his hand towards them. As Aisha anha said, hadith, the Prophet never ever touched the hand of any woman. So this excuse that people say, look, during the bay'ah they gave their hands, the men gave the hand, not the women. So you cannot shake women's hand. As for Nusayb bin Tuka'ab ibn Umm Umara, she, as we mentioned, took part in the battle of Uhud. Remember that last week? Well, and she was afflicted with 12 wounds or wounds in 12 different parts of her body. Nusayba bin Tuka'ab. Also, she was there during the battle of what other battle? She was there against the battle of Musayla al Kadhab. And also, no, Musaylim uh, al-Kadhab, the liar, the false prophet, he killed her son. I think she was involved, the other battle she involved in was the battle of Yermuk, I believe. No, Ma'raka al-Yamama, the Ma'raka of Yamama, with Khalid ibn Walid. Tayyib. Last point, inshallah ta'ala, based on what we started upon, which is cultivation upon Iman. The last point is, when we look at Bay'ah al-Aqaba, al-Ula, al-Thaniya, we said it was the mother of all openings because of that strong foundation. The last point is, when we look at the history or the biography of Ashab al-Aqaba al-Thaniya, the people that gave the Pledge of Allegiance of Rasulullah during Aqaba al-Thaniya from the Asar, when we look at the books of biography, the books of Seerah, we will find there were how many number? Thalatha wa sabi'een. There were 70. وَقَدْ اشْتُشْهِدَ قُرَابَ ثُلُثُهُمْ عَلَىٰ أَهْدِ النَّبِيِّ a third of that 73, they, took, they were martyred during the time of the Prophet Sallallahu A third of them. A third of the 73 were martyred during the time of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Also, we also notice that every single person in Bay'ah al-Aqaba al-Thaniyah, they were in every single war with the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. They were involved in every single battle with the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Jayib. وَقُرَابَ وَثَلَاثٌ As for those from amongst them, who participated in Al-Badr, they were almost the whole 70, participated in Badr. And some of them, even after the death of the Prophet wasallam, they died as shaheed, from those who did the first, the bay'ah, sorry, the second bay'ah of Al-Aqaba. Next week, inshallah ta'ala, we're going to go back to the Quran, Tafsir, Ayatu Al-Makiyyah. What we're going to try and do now is, when we look at the mawdu'ah, the surah, some of them are similar in topics. So we're going to go 
not surah surah, but a compilation of surah similar in topics, and then we we'll move on to the ayat al madiniya Because from Sirah now we're going to move on to the Hijrah to Al-Madinah. Subhanakallah, alhamdulillah, shadwan la ilaha anta